Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Special Episode. A lot of them are all the same. You know, they're all really big. They're fast. They can have the same 5, 10-5. The linear speed is there. Um, but it, it's, the, it's that it factor, we used to call it, um, which we've kind of looked at three different areas. When we talk about mentality, it's like what type of drive do you have? What type of attitude do you have? And what's your confidence level? We feel like those three areas is sometimes what separates athletes from uh, being just physical specimens to being like a complete sort of a uh, player. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast, and I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we have a special episode in partnership with Gatorade. Gatorade Performance Partner helps to fuel and support important conversations across the strength and conditioning profession. Our guest today is a strength and conditioning coach in the Dallas area, Brian McCall, or BMAC for those who know him, who's built a successful career in the private sector focusing on NFL combine training. BMAC, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so it's a collaboration episode today. We have Coach John Jose, Gatorade's team sport manager, back with us on the air. Hey, Coach. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Eric. It's uh, always fun. So look forward to this conversation. Brian and I go back for a lot of years, and uh, yeah, this will be a fun one. Awesome. Let's jump right in. Brian, every year when athletes are getting ready for the combine, I hear your name coming up. What led you into coaching in the private sector and preparing athletes for the NFL? Yeah, I, I think it starts honestly with my my father. My father told me really early on, he said, man, find something in your life that you love to do. You know, don't just go into a job where you just dread being there and, you know, you don't want to do it and you got to, you're forced to do it because you need to get paycheck week to week. He said, find a passion. And so that was always kind of searching uh, for that, that sort of aspect of my life to make sure that whatever I did, I, I had a really deep, deep affection for and a love for and a care for. And I think that's what led me into coaching. You know, I found out that this is just like coaching. Um, and then I, I was able to come across coach John Jones and, you know, it takes one person to believe in you to change someone's life. And he was a guy that I felt like he, I was just trying to get an internship, you know, at SMU back in those days. And I just, like a young college student, I just need to get my credits to graduate. I had no idea that meeting him and him saying yes to me as a, a graduate assistant, a full-time assistant, creating a job for me at Florida State was going to impact me in that way that um, I wanted to continue to prove that I deserved that opportunity. And so every single day that I've got out there and coached people and, and done what I've done in my career, I always go back to the people that let me in the door. And I'm just very grateful. Um, for those opportunities that they gave me. So I think that's kind of the history of why I do what I do and can for 20 plus years. Um, it's just because I'm just inspired. That's great, Brian. I, I really love when coaches start with a passion. I think that's something that's really common, you know, that I hear is like something, something lights that match for us, you know, something. Uh, and it's usually a person, like you said, coach Jost, uh, uh, Coach Jose has been a mentor to a lot of people. You guys work together at SMU and Florida State. Coach, what was your perspective on that? You know, first of all, just, you know, humility. Um, it, it, you know, Brian said, you know, it took somebody to say yes to him and believe in him. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate that so much. And the reality is he's a – so one of these people is very, very easy to say yes to and very, very, you know, 
uh, uh, very early on, you realize, wow, this is a really uh, a man of character, a great individual. And super early on, he was somebody that made me better than, you know, made me better and made us better as a staff and um, developed great relationships with uh, with the student athletes and uh, trust and belief. And um, so I feel very fortunate also to have to have been able to work with Brian and and, uh, you know, we've continued to have a great deal of respect for each other and friendship and and um, so, yeah, it was uh, really a lot of fun at SMU. And, you know, we were as we were talking uh, off air, I mean, we we were very passionate and we were gung ho, but we made a lot of mistakes and we didn't realize when we were making them at the time. But, uh, you know, we uh, had some success at, at SMU and we're very fortunate to be able to 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 move up to a bigger stage and uh, at, at Florida State with Coach Bowden and some of the unbelievable uh men and athletes that we were able to work with at, at florida state and it was uh um really special time for sure brian getting started in the college ranks and then jumping over to the private sector what were some of the big takeaways for you working a lot of coaches work at the college level in some way at some level early in their development whether it be an internship or a full-time position but you've made a career out of the private sector what what did you take with you from working with college athletes yeah with the with the college athlete i wanted to take them further i wanted to take them all the way through and so you look at the pinnacle of the the heightened of success is to be a professional athlete and so i wanted to work with them not just as an amateur but i wanted to work with them as a professional and so I decided to make that jump from the collegiate sector into the professional realm um, just so I could help continue those guys' career. You know, I got through three to four years with them in college, but I wanted to see, can I train them for 10 years as a, as a professional? And so I wanted to step over, step over and get that challenge. And I think that was the primary motivator for me is just continue the training at the highest level and see if I can compete and help our athletes stay resilient in those the highest level of sport. I know you looked at Coach Jost as a mentor. Uh, you know, who are some of the other big mentors early in your career? You mentioned you just were looking for an internship, someone to get, take a chance on you. Uh, that's a really key time for young coaches in the profession that, that we're, our eyes are wide open. We're trying to take in as many resources as we can. Uh, what were some of the big mentors and resources that you looked to? Yeah, well, Coach Joseph's number one. I mean, he's the introduction. I, mean, I was a young guy at that time and I didn't know anything, you know, I just didn't know anything about training. I'd never had any experience in the collegiate athlete world. Um, so I learned a lot about how to structure uh, programming. I learned philosophy and principles from Coach Jost. Um, I also learned how to be a professional. You know, back in those days, we used to wear collared t-shirts in the weight room. <laughs> we were buttoned up, man. I think we had khaki shorts on, collared t-shirts, and we were really professional. I've always kind of carried that that mantle with me, even though we don't dress like that anymore, but I still have that same attitude. When you come to work, you're a professional. You're, you're not here to be friends with the athletes. You're their, their mentor. They're looking up to you and they're, they're looking for guidance and advice. And so I learned all those things from him. And he's, he's one of the most organized individuals I've ever been around. And so just learning how to structure, be organized and be professional. I took that away from him. Uh, he was my first mentor in this space. I would say my second one was uh, when I went to the private sectors, guy by the name of Lance Walker, um, he was with me at Integrated Athletic Development in Carrollton and then at Michael Johnson Performance. Uh, we were together for, you know, 10 plus years. 
Um, I learned about how to how to meld all these different sort of uh, uh, industries together. So physical therapy with speed training, with performance training, with strength conditioning. I was able to nutrition, regeneration. I was able to start to put all that together. And now you start to look at that. It's it's high performance is what they're calling that field. It's where you're putting all these different um, attributes together and variables and putting them into one synergistically. And so I saw the way to craft that and put it together because um, I'd never seen it before. John and I were talking about, you know, back in the day, it was just you did strength work and you did conditioning work. And that was about it. You know, we didn't do much speed. We didn't do hardly any recovery. Soft tissue work wasn't a thing, you know. So I just saw that that sort of that full circle integration uh, with everything um, when I got into the private sector. Another person was a, a assistant strength coach at SMU or Florida State, sorry, was Dave Paletto. Um, he taught me a lot about some of the Russian training systems, Bulgarian training systems. It's really about explosiveness and power um, and all these different unique modalities that we could use. Um, so I, I took that and I started to meld that together and made it my own. And I think now when I look at, I'm still learning, I'm still being mentored, uh, but now it's more on the business side. So you look at a guy like a, a Michael Johnson, um, who I worked with for a decade, I learned how to be methodical. That's the way he was as, a, as an athlete. I mean, no stern left, no stone left unturned. Everything is thought of, everything's calculated, um, very strategically planned. And so I learned how to how to change my mindset and how to be extremely focused. He used to always talk about in his environment of training, he wants an extremely focused training environment. And so it was really um, every every session was like that. And so I, I learned how to recreate that in, in my career. Um, and now it's Sports Academy. I'm working with some really um, great entrepreneurs uh, like a Chad Faulkner, Nate Barunda. Um, they've taken the sports industry and they've expanded the platform. And so now I'm looking at, we have, you know, the sport, we have competition, we have leagues, we have clubs, we've got our own integrated sports medicine, we've got speed coaches, we have strength coaches, um, we have mental conditioning coaches, we have cognition, um, and so we have digital training. So now I'm seeing this, this model just extremely grow um, in all different areas at the same time, and it's like, that's what's sustainable. You know, you can't just be a specialist in this market. You've got to have all these other elements supporting each other and feeding each other. So I'm learning on the on the business side now. You know, as a strength coach, we just I went to school. I got an exercise science degree. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know anything about marketing and business and how to be an entrepreneur and how to think strategically and how to position yourself differently in a market. We, we weren't trained to do that stuff. And so now when I'm getting around business people and we're melding with sport, it's just it's still expanding. Uh, me as a person that's awesome it's amazing um mm -hmm. before we get into um the combine training and that process i want to go off script here just a little bit and build on what you just some of what you just shared and you know you you've had you've had other opportunities i mean you have had opportunities to 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 go into the nfl and and uh obviously you know, whenever a big job comes up, you know, your name, I've heard your name mentioned multiple times. What's kept you in the private sector and and, and why do you like this, uh, the position that you're in as opposed to, you know, maybe going to the NFL? Yeah, I, I think it's the variation and opportunities that are presented to you on a daily basis. Um, it's just the, the ability to expand, uh, to try things out. Um, if they don't work, you fail, you adapt and you, you try something else. Um, 
I just like the it's exploratory. You know, you can just get your fingers in, involved with so many different areas and you can expand our training services, so many different markets. I mean, international markets, state markets, national markets. Uh, it, it's unlimited, you know. Um, I think that's where I, I sometimes maybe felt a little bit limited, maybe being with the team because it's just that that's it. You're all team and and that's great. I love those those things. Um, but I, I just felt a little bit limited from my personality and who I am. Um, I just like to be able to get involved and, and be very creative and innovative uh, in those aspects. I think that's what it was. Yeah, that's great. You've definitely thrived in that environment. So you know how to soar with your strengths and what uh, fits you best. So that's awesome. Um, if we could transition a little bit to the combine training process, and if you would, wouldn't mind kind of taking us through what that looks like, how long the athletes are typically with you and maybe, you know, a little bit, what does a training day look like? And then, you know, everybody talks about training for the combine and you continue with them post combine in many cases too. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, so the process is starting now, you know, it's, it's almost like an annual process because you got to get those guys exposed to your services early on, like almost like a year out. And so what we'll do is, you know, after, I'd say around April, March, or yeah, March, April, May, somewhere in that time, we'll start to recruit the athletes to come in and get experience with us just so they can see our facilities, see our character, our personalities, see what we have to offer in terms of services um, and functionality of, of facility. And so it starts then, and then we continue to stay in touch with them throughout the season, um, updates, communications, checking in, good game here, things like that. And then you have to also have great relationships with your agents. And so your agents are a really good pipeline and a feeder um, for these facilities to be successful. So you have those two markets. You got to always get exposed to the athlete. You got to have them um, because that's your ultimate client. But then you also got to have great relationships with the agents because they can be great uh, feeder systems for you. So that's that's the first part of it. The second part, when you talk about a, a kid that signs up with you, they can start as early as next month, December. So guys that are out of, out of uh, bowl games and not going to go to playoffs and things like that or just opting out. They can start um, that process early, and typically they're looking for therapy. So it's low intensity. They're trying to get their body back. Um, they want to spend you know three to four weeks just getting the body um, reconstituted and back to health. The real program typically starts January 2nd, January 3rd, and it starts with a, a pretty extensive diagnostic process. Um, the first thing that we want to know is what's the status of the, the system. And so we got to get an orthopedic evaluation um, we got to understand, you know, you've played three to four years of college football, high school football, maybe peewee. These guys are broken. You know, they've played 10 years of some highly competitive football. And so we got to understand what's the status now. We got to look at joint um, everything, range of motion, orthopedic screening. And so that gives an indication of do we need to take a medical pathway with a guy or can they go performance? If it's medical, that means we might need to have therapy as your primary pathway or even surgery. We've had some guys, you know, uh, herniated disc or, or torn hip flexors is like you can't compete at the combine level right now we have to recommend that you get surgery now and that's a really tough conversation for guys to have because you're expecting to go through this eight-week process and train but it's not in your best interest to do that um, so there's two pathways if they take the performance pathway the the system is designed to go eight weeks uh, in length we usually start january 2nd combines usually that last week of february um, so eight weeks of intensive training You'll have some all-star games interspersed in there as well. So you gotta you gotta prepare them for the combine drills. 
the medical process, the interview process, but then they also got to be ready to go for the all-star games. And we always tell these guys too, like your all-star games, that's the highest level of football you've ever played in your career because these guys are going to the NFL. This is the best of the best in college. And so during this process, these guys are now have to go and play, you know, at a very high level, um, January, February. The structure of the program is we train virtually every day. So six days a week, most of those training sessions are about an hour, hour and a half in length. We like to do our speed work in the morning. We give them three to four hour break and then we'll come back in the afternoon and, and get our lift or our recovery. So every day that they're in, that's usually two times a day training um, for those five days, two times a week. Um, the next part of that is you've got to integrate, you've got to be able to meld the the strength, the speed, the skill and the recovery. And so you have to, you have to sort of cobble all that stuff together and you can't leave anything out of balance. And so we got to get enough speed work to where guys are confident. They're prepared for the drills. You, you can't go in and lift heavy weights. You got to lift more explosively because you don't have a lot of time and we can't do anything to slow guys down. Cause it's, it's like I said, it's a track meet. It's all about speed there. Um, except for the 225 test, the bench press. Um, and then you also, you can never get away from the skill part of football. And so I think strategically, one thing we've always done in, in programs I've been involved with, we're always dosing in, you know, two to three times a week of their football skill work. Because at the end of the day, the combine is just one part of it. They still got to get ready for football. Um, and I think we've also strategically gotten really good is maybe even adding more skill work in terms of football IQ, physical work. And so your football skill work can actually be every every day, so five days a week. And what we've seen is guys that go through that process, they perform better as rookies compared to guys that get limited skills. Um, so I think we have a, a pretty competitive advantage there, but yeah, that's the structure. Um, it's, it's a pretty intense time for these guys. Yeah, that is, that's, that is, that's really intense. And uh, I'm sure that, that uh, some of them aren't quite, are, are pretty surprised at uh, the, the level of, of intensity and the expectations. And, you know, I, I'm sure that if they can, uh, excel through um, that program, it, it also prepares them for being a professional athlete and the rigors of, hey, you know, what what's what's going to be expected when they whenever they get drafted. That's right. That's a really good point, because at this point, we're not your college strength coach anymore. We're not mandating that you do anything. This is a guy. We're advisors. We're performance consultants at this point. You know, you can you're paying us to consult you on what we think is the best strategy for you to prepare yourself for your for your career as a professional it's really on them and i think that's the first taste of it because in college i mean you, you got to be there you got to do what you got to do for the team this is the ultimate free agent time period for them because they're not affiliated with a team and so it's their first time to be an individual football player versus a football player on a team i, I thought it was interesting you broke down obviously the skill component is huge at the nfl level the physical component, huge, because we're strength and conditioning coaches, and that's what we focus on. Uh, but the mental component, I want to ask you about that. You you mentioned the interview process, and you really are delivering comprehensive preparation for these athletes in preparation for the for the combine. Uh, how do you approach that? You know, getting getting prospects ready for interviewing so that they present themselves well. Exactly right. We got to bring in professionals that know how to do that. So we bring in those subject matter experts, um, interview prep 
companies. And then we also have a neuropsychologist that works on their character development, uh, coping strategies. And so we bring in high-end PhD level professionals to help them with the mentality part of it. Because physically, they're a lot of them are all the same. You know, they're all really big. They're fast. They can have the same five, 10, five, the linear speed is there. Um, but it, it's, the, it's that it factor, we used to call it, um, which we've kind of looked at three different areas when we talk about mentality is like what type of drive do you have what type of attitude do you have and what's your confidence level we feel like those three areas is sometimes what separates athletes from uh being just physical specimens to being like a complete sort of a player and then we also do a uh, cognition and so i think sports academy has a really unique advantage in the market because we have coders and tech experts that work for our company and so we have um technology that we integrate that helps with memory attention uh processing speed cognition and so we're able to help that processing speed in addition to the physical elements in addition to the mental psychologists and, and uh, mental coaches so we're putting all that together where we're like here's a circle of a human we're, we're expanding the human out bigger and so we're hitting all these different areas where it's not just a linear approach it's, it's more of this like a sphere getting bigger, like a balloon. So it is yeah. very intense. It's a lot of yeah. time. And I'm hearing that expansion really for the athlete, but really in our roles as coaches, you know, you talked to you early on, it was really just the weight room and strength and it expanded to strength and speed. And then it's soft tissue and the medical aspects that you, that you were uh, talking about. But I want to ask you about your speed program. Uh, you've worked with some of the fastest, athletes in combine history uh are there specific kpis or measurements that you've found successful uh related to speed and how do you approach that as a strength and conditioning coach being a high level speed coach as well yeah it took us a while to figure out the right model for it because you gotta you gotta have these athletes perform but then you gotta keep them safe too so one of the things i started to scale back on was we're always trying to go out there to to break records and have you know, then perform at the highest and the, and, and the best they can. But what I've learned just talking to NFL personnel is there's a zone that each guy want, needs to run. So like if you're offensive lineman, they project you to run a five, two, you can't go up there and run a five, five. If you run a five, one, it, it's great, but it's, it's, it's okay. But the risk versus reward to try to get a guy to, to run that five, one versus they need you slotted right here in this zone. And we're going to check that box. Let's just do that because it's safer. The worst thing we can do is have a guy pull his hamstring trying to run a faster 40. You know, it's like it's not worth it. And I think as our egos and things like that, coaches, we just want to go out there and break all these records. But it's really not about that. It's making sure the guy is hitting his potential, uh, doing what he can do and just making sure that he's hitting what they're expecting him to hit. Um, and so it took us a while. And so we've we've developed a model of speed where we have three linear days on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. We do our linear stuff. We'd, we'd like to do our max velocity a little bit earlier in the week. We do our acceleration midweek, and then we do our starts uh, on Friday. But each day we're going to have an element because the start is so important, and these guys are not technically sort of astute at it yet. So we make sure that we have an element of starting every single session that we do it. Um, and I think that's really proven to be very successful. Talking about the start, we really start to look at the zero to five time. You know, if these guys can get underneath the second, the fast guys are about point. Point eight, you know, if we can get those guys to run in those time ranges, we feel like we can set them up for the rest of the 40 because your start is about 20 to 30% of your max velocity. If I can push out hard and I can create some momentum coming out and get my foot down without losing that momentum in the right spot, I'm able to generate and see some of that result 
those outcomes on the back end. So we've really honed in. Let's just really be excellent on that first zero to five. Um, and, and as far as KPIs, there's some, I, this is where I think the field has gotten a lot better is in the kinematics of sprinting. You know, like when I started, we didn't really know, like we, you know, lift your knees up, spread your arms apart, you know, chop down striders is what we did for speed. And so now we've, we've gotten to a point where there's like degrees, like we know like there's ranges that we have to hit. There's some of these key shapes and forms that we got to hit. So we know when a guy comes out of his start position at three point, we've got to get fully extended. We got to come out at lower than 45 degrees. We'd like 35. Um, the thigh, the femurs have to separate at least 90 to 110 degrees. And once you get to that, that right there, we call it a zero step. You're able to project out. You're going to be in a pretty good position to run faster. Some guys, what I've noticed is they make mistakes. So they'll get that and they'll extend out. And they'll put their foot in the right, the wrong spot at the wrong time when they hit the floor. And so once they're here to extend it, they may drop straight down or they may go back too far and it's not optimized. Um, one of the key metrics we looked at using Dartfish was when they get extended on that zero step, they have about 0.06 seconds to get to the floor. If it's longer than that, they're just going to hang in the air. You've lost a little bit of momentum you've generated from that initial force. So you can't just hang and you can't come down too early because your impulse is not going to be high enough. So you, there's an optimal range. If I can get, you know, underneath the center of mass, center of gravity, somewhere in that position in 0.06, I have the best chance to, to really effectively get out of the hole. Um, so that that's one of the ones that we really like to look at. And then, you know, look at the, the back end. So we, uh, I think it was Ken Clark did a study and talked about max velocity uh, being critical for the 40 yard dash, because back in the day, it was always, well, you start your acceleration. That's all that matters. You don't need really need max velocity. That's absolutely not right. you got the fastest guys, miles per hour is run the fastest time. So we got to get the max velocity up. Um, and so that back end 20 to 40 fast guys are going to go one seven on the back end. Your, your medium fast guys, one eight, your linemen are about 2.2 to 2.1. So we kind of understand where those zones need to be as far as those KPIs to run really fast. You've got to have great back end speed. And to have that, you have to have experience running fast often because your nervous system, you're running that fast. Everything sort of seizes up. If I'm not sprinting enough, you see these guys, they don't run fluidly when they're, they don't sprint a lot. Um, it looks sort of like uh, fragmented. Um, they're not smooth, their coordination, their timing, their rhythm is off. And so once you start to practice running fast, often those back end times start to really drop because they're more relaxed at top end speed. Super interesting, especially the, you know, kind of the risk reward of, of being able to check that box and, and uh, make sure that the, based on the, the, their position, the athletes in that zone and, and uh, not accept, uh, assuming or, or, or trying to, uh, to, get them to run faster because of the risk. And it, it yeah, I mean, if the, they get injured, you know, leading up to the combine or at the combine, you know, all that work that they've done and everything that they've prepared for this one really job interview that's going to make them a professional is is ruined. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's the first time that I've ever heard that. Yep. Yeah. And you see guys that will have an injury during the combine process. It stays with them all the way through their career. And wow. it's like, it's not worth it, man. It's not. Yeah. Super interesting. So uh, kind of changing gears a little bit, um, going into a different subject. I'll, I'll never forget um, when early in my career um, as a strength coach, 
I can remember talking to one of my neighbors and, and saying, oh, it's off season. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, right, you know, you're getting ready to go into your in season. And obviously you are extremely busy, um, which you've talked about an awful lot of it really between starting the first of the year through the combine and, and really through the draft. Um, once the draft is over, could you talk a little bit about what fills up your calendar with professional athletes and, you know, the type of athletes that you're training really, I'll say from the draft to, um, to when your cycle starts all over, you know, again, uh, in January one. Yeah. Yeah. The combine is really, if you look at it from a business perspective, it's more of like a feeder system for your NFL offseason program. And so it's, it's in our best interest to have these guys, a good chunk of guys um, in our program having a great experience with us so they can continue their training for five to 10 years after that, you know, because you only have them for eight weeks and that's just not enough to really sustain a business. Um, it'd be great to have them for eight years, you know, things like that. Um, so we try to keep those guys into the, into the loop as best we can. But then you also have in, in, in this business, you've got to have your youth population. And so you use these professional athletes, you leverage their brand and what you've done with them to sell the next generation. And so they, these, these young football players want to be like the guys in the combine one day. And so we, we leverage that a little bit um, at the elementary, middle school and high school level, and even the collegiate level. So you have that pipeline there. And then you've got to have a multitude of different sports. You know, we've, we've gone as far now as um, we're training cheerleaders. We partner with a uh, cheer athletics, which is one of the biggest cheerleading organizations in the world. Um, so now we're doing strength conditioning and, and performance for, for cheer athletes um, we've gotten into the esport athletes. We've got a um, a really cool thing going on with the the army esports. Actually, um, they have an esports division, and so we're going to be doing combines for esports athletes. Who would have thought um, that we'd be wow. training training That's those awesome. guys? Testing vertical jumps, and I don't know if we're going to do speed. I don't know if they need that one, but <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I was just at East Tennessee State University for their sports science clinic, and they have a a varsity esports team and stadium and just blew my mind that that's going on right now, you know, and, and yeah. Yeah. The training aspect and we're seeing sports medicine for it or in just the, yeah, it's really interesting. A, a topic for another day, I'm sure, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really thing. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a business, you're just always looking for new opportunities, uh, new potential opportunities and that's kind of we talked about before is uh that entrepreneurial mindset it's like what else can we do who else can we serve um we've had such expertise in some of these big sports you got your your baseball players you got mlb you got your nba pre-draft program uh an off-season program your traditional things but then what else can we do to leverage our expertise in one area and transfer it over to another area and so it's just that's why i was talking about that exploratory nature of this this business <laughs> yeah it's incredible how it's changed and grown Kind of speaking of which, you've really become an amazing leader and mentor uh, as a strength conditioning coach, and uh, you have a lot to to share and a lot to give. And what advice would you give to a to a, a young aspiring strength coach, somebody that uh, is looking for that internship and to to uh, finish their finish their degree? Yeah. Yeah. You better be persistent on that internship thing. So I think I reached <laughs> those probably 20 times before I got a yes. 
Um, I think he showed up one day. He told me, he's like, man, the reason why I gave you the intro, you wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> I need to graduate, man. I needed it. That's so awesome. you be persistent. It's just hard. It, and it's getting harder. You know, that was in 1999. It's getting harder. Like now this field is very known. Um, there's people, it's it's flooded. It's more competitive. So it's just getting harder. The best thing about it, though, is the, the field, the uniqueness is expanding, too. There's other areas to get involved with, not just a collegiate strength coach, professional, you know. So there, there's other things there. But be persistent. I think you got to find a, a mentor a mentor pretty quickly. I think you got to find someone. Um, I think the US USOC did something. Um, they talked about coaching development, and they said the number one thing to develop a coach is find a mentor, someone that's done it before, um, that you can get some practical advice. It's okay reading books and, and seeing, observing, but you need to be able to bounce Q&A off of someone who's done it before so you can learn quicker because uh, that learning curve is just – it takes too long the other way. Um, you have to get – you know, the, the the downfall is they just don't – when they're coming out, they don't have practical experience. Um, and so the resume looks good. You got every – the alphabet certification. You got everything. Uh, but then when you're on the floor, can you do it? You know, and so you got to get real world practical experience getting in front of people, coaching people. It's hard training athletes. You know, they don't necessarily want to do squats all the time and sprinting and 300 yard shuttle. They don't want to do that. I think we're, it's a fallacy like us. The strength coaches always thought like, oh, they just want to do that. And they're always going to be there and they're going to be ready to go. It's not true. Uh, they need motivation. So you got to get some practical experience and get that really quickly so you can learn if this is something you want to do or not you know because it's not an easy road um also too i think you like what i did was i found my passion and so i knew i wanted to help people um and so i found what i wanted to do and and you got to find what you love and a lot of times like having passion is just not enough it's not going to be sustaining you in a career you got to have a skill set to it so you got to keep developing uh your tools and your toolkits and so you put those together and i think you can have a presence and an impact in this field um, and then I think you just got to, this is another issue I've seen with the younger generation is they just want to get to the top really quick. You know, you got to slow cook it a little bit, um, put it in the oven on 200, let it just bake, you know, like slow cook your career a little bit. It's going to get there, but it takes time to build your reputation. It takes time to get results, um, you know, and just be patient with it. You're not going to come out here and just start working with combine athletes as a new graduate, you know, just, you're going to have to watch for a little bit and learn, and then you'll get your chance. So that's, that's great my advice. Agree 100% with all of it. <laughs> yeah. So some great building blocks there to help coaches find their voice, regardless of where they're at. And I, I like the, the big takeaway there is you, the knowledge is out there. And yep. you've talked a lot about different things you need to master in this profession from training youth, adults, the medical aspects, return to play, speed but really finding your voice so you can deliver uh, an effective training program with a variety of athletes and helping them, you know, helping those athletes find their path because yeah. they're great. You know, we're progressing as coaches, but they're progressing through their career and they're, they're relying on us, you know, and, and it's really uh, it's inspiring to hear your journey and how you've poured so much into athletes and, Really how it started uh, just with that internship going back, you know, with Coach Joe's back in the day. And uh, it's just yep. a cool, cool to have this conversation now. Well, I was just going to say one thing. I think when, when I did that internship and I got in that environment and it was so energetic and it was so like high intensity, that's when I knew. Because I, I, I was doing an internship somewhere else and I, I, I think I might have dropped out of it. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. This is what I want to do. I just got around that environment. I was like, dude, this is me. 
and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good point. And another, uh, the, 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 the being able to find a, a mentor that you can uh, get into that uh, environment and really learn, Hey, is this for me? Because the only way that you really know is to, to spend time in the grind and uh, in that intensity. So I, I, that's a really, really good point. And if one environment in this field isn't the right fit for you, there's a lot of other options now. It's uh, we, the field's come a long way. So that's that's inspiring as well. Uh, for anyone listening in, wants to reach out, connect with you, Brian, what's the best way to do that? Uh, email. So Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at sportsacademy.us. And I think uh, in this day and age, Instagram, <laughs> I think uh, just BMAC underscore IG. That might be the best. Okay. We'll list that in the show notes. And uh, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, a lot yeah, of coaching so insights and uh, takeaways. Um, that was BMAC, Brian McCall, Sports Academy, Frisco, Texas. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening in. And we'd also like to thank Coach Jost and Gatorade Performance Partner for joining us on this episode. Coach Jost, thanks. Thank you. And thank you, Brian. I really enjoyed this. And it's, uh, uh, we, 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 seems like we only get to connect, uh, once, once or twice a year. And, and every time I do, I just, uh, am so grateful for the time that we've had together and that, uh, we've been able to continue our friendship through the years. So it's so good to, to have this connect with you. Thank you. And, uh, wish you guys both a, a happy Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. Without you, nothing happens, man. I appreciate you for everything you've done for me personally. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if you'd like to learn more and join the Gatorade Performance Partner community, visit GatoradePerformancePartner.com. And also a thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment, a regular sponsor on the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Tim Sokomel, the chair of the NSCA Sports Science and Performance Technology Special Interest Group, and you just heard an episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. This show brings about excellent discussion right to the core of the NSCA's mission to bridge the gap between scientific research and application. If you want to learn more about the many advancements in the areas relevant to today's practitioners, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also join the discussion in the NSCA Sports Science and Performance Technology SIG on Facebook. Go to NSCA.com for more information. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.